0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Claire Nichols, and this is a bonus episode of the book show to congratulate Shayhan Karanatakala for winning this year's Booker Prize for Fiction for his novel, The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. You might remember that Sarah Lestrange and I both tried to guess the winner of this year's Booker Prize, and of course we both got it wrong, but we are so pleased that Shayhan won this prize. His book is a murder mystery set in the afterlife. What a delicious concept for a novel. And we were so lucky that Shayhan agreed to speak to Sarah Lestrange for the book show.
2: While some writers can be cool and seemingly unfazed about being shortlisted for this prize, not Shehan.
0: Uh, It never gets old. It's been, been a few weeks, but yeah, still loving it, yeah.
2: So I can only imagine how he's feeling about winning the 2022 Booker Prize. After Michael Ondaatje, who won the prize in 1992 for The English Patient, Shehan is the second Sri Lankan author to win, and he received the prize from Camilla. Britain's Queen Consort. The judges chose the book because they say it takes the reader on a rollercoaster journey through life and death, right to what the author describes as the dark heart of the world. Before we spoke about the book, I wanted to find out how Shehan was coping with the roller coaster of Sri Lankan politics and social unrest this year. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, what a month it was. Um, I mean, what a few months it was. At the beginning of July, we were, people were on the street and um, jumping in the president's pool, storming the castle. The president was fleeing. And, you know, we saw it all on our televisions, and uh, the whole world did. And then after that uncertainty, then we went straight into petrol queues, which were... I mean, you have to experience it to believe it. Uh, I mean, OK, UK is having a massive queue, and I guess... Um, yeah, it's it's for a different reason. But yeah, the, the length was similar and it wasn't such a pleasant somber occasion. It was so yeah, so we went through through that for a few weeks. And then suddenly a book a long list happens. So and um, and in the midst, you know, I was writing about what was happening and doing and that. So yeah, it's it's been a surreal few months. And now uh, normalcy has been rest- well, you know, it's now the queues are less, there's some system in place there's gas and, you know, there's food in the shops, there's medicine in there. so, you know we're not panicking uh, but, you know, with Sri Lanka it can always just just turn in a week, so you never know.
2: Well, that's good to hear, because the setting for this novel, The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida, is actually a previous political storm, so it's set in 1989, there's conflict on a few different fronts. Can you just give us, um, I don't know, a quick history guide for what's going on in the background to your novel?
0: Well, it happens on page 27, I think. Um, (laughs) You've got a little two-page little cheat sheet.
2: Yes, thank you for Um, that.
0: But it's strange. There's never been a shortage of things to write about. Uh, When I started writing, it was 2009. It was the end of the 30-year war. So there's plenty to write about then. You know, There's a lot of controversy over how the war ended and how the peace was being managed. But, of course, you know, I wasn't uh, brave enough to write about contemporary times. so I, I just but thankfully, the storytellers, I guess, there was enough conflict in the past that I could draw on. So I, I went to 1989, which I remember as a teenager being the darkest time time in our history. And I think that's that's still the case. I mean, we've had a lot of uncertainty this year, but nothing in comparison. And yeah, the multiple fronts were. There was a ethnic civil war between Tamil the Tamil Tiger separatists and the majority Sin- Sinhalese state. So that conflict had been going on for about six years then and would continue well into the, the 2000s. But uh, by 1989, there was a peace accord with India where uh, India sent their peacekeeping force over. So we had boots on ground and that, I mean, peacekeeping force. Ironic term because they were in, ended up fighting with the tigers and so there was conflicts up north and out east. Um, so I was in Colombo. So I think Colombo's always been a bit insulated from this. But uh, while that was happening, there was a Marxist insurrection in the south um, of uh, disaffected working class youth, university uh, taking on the state. And again, it was it was a bloodbath in the sense that on one side they were crippling the state, and the state had their counter-terrorist units which were abducting youth so this is like heady stuff for a teenager going to school uh, that you had two wars effectively happening at the same time but for me and at the time you didn't really understood it all i could read was the fear on the grown-ups faces and the fact that schools were closed and and so on so when i when looking back coming from 20 30 years later i one thing I felt safe about writing about this period was most of the protagonists and antagonists were dead and this period had been well documented and, you know, both of those wars were effectively over. So, um, yeah, that was, it just seemed like a very good place to set a ghost story because there wasn't a shortage of corpses or restless spirits or, uh, you know, unresolved crimes. So, um, yeah, I, I dove straight, straight back into the 80s.
2: Yes. And um, there are plenty of corpses in your book and um, plenty of Gallo's humour to go with it. So here we have Mali Almeida. He's our main protagonist. He's a photographer who's actually documented um, many crimes um, by many sides. And he finds himself in the afterlife after being murdered, he thinks. He doesn't know. Um, why a ghost story? Because then he sets out to find out what happened to me? Why did I die? And who killed me?
0: Well, I think the reason i chose it because i previously had written a cricket story mm-hmm. uh, about 10 years ago called chinaman the legend of pradeep matthew and i'd written as it, it was a cricket detective story about sri lanka's greatest cricketer who no one ever heard of a, a quest almost and i'd done it as a bit of fun and uh, and i didn't expect it to travel outside of colombo or outside of the subcontinent but it uh, i was delighted to see it did quite well and um Suddenly, I was called on to talk about cricket, and I wasn't really that much into cricket. I mean, I was I was researching for the novel, but you know, there are a lot of Sri Lankans who are a lot more obsessed about cricket than me. And so, just I thought, okay, how how am I gonna avoid? I should do something completely different for my next trick. And then um, I thought, what Sri Lanka needs is a great ghost story, because there there's been plenty of other stories, but why? And so, I just started collecting ghost stories and researching tragedies of the past. So that was that was the motivation. But then I also realized that a ghost story, and like you rightly said, it's it's a whodunit. It's um, a photographer who had seen all sides of the various conflicts, so there wasn't a shortage of people who would be out to get him. It just seemed a, a way to d- discuss this complicated political situation through a ghost story, because the classic, uh, so we had the seven moons, which is also rooted in spirituality. There is a it's a single exam. It's an Asian belief that the spirit hovers around for like seven days before it goes on to its next place. So that was the ticking, the ticking clock for the for the thriller.
2: So he's got seven days to find yeah, out. So he's got, yeah,
0: seven days, seven moons to find out uh, and make peace with uh, with his former life. But also, it allowed me to explore these various factions who might have wanted him dead. So um, yeah, it, the structure is very much a murder mystery but set in the
2: afterlife of a, a dead guy trying to find out who killed him. And the afterlife is a curious place. It's very bureaucratic. <laughs> what, what gave you that mm. idea to, um, you know, have these people with their clipboards and then there are others who are trying to subvert the bureaucracy as well? It's kind of just like being back on Earth.
0: So that was the tricky thing because most ghost stories, most stories of the afterlife don't really reveal much. It's all, uh, until probably the final act. So it's all mysterious and uh, bumps in the night until you find out what happens. But mine on page one, you meet the ghost who says, hi, I'm a ghost. This is how I got here. So I had to imagine the afterlife. And of course, that's quite tricky because you know you can go into near-death experiences, philosophies, religions, but no one really knows. That's that's fact. So that also allowed me to make up whatever I chose. And it just made sense. Having spent time in, you know, in passport offices, in parcel, in various government bureaucracies over here, uh, and probably been writing down thoughts for this novel while sitting there, it just occurred to me that, yeah, of course, you know, the souls have to be processed. And what's to say the afterlife's any more efficient than it is down here? And that made a lot of sense to me that, Sri Lanka is full of these restless souls who have to get a piece of paper stamped at some department and don't know where they're going. And perhaps that's why the reason for the chaos, because these restless souls are whispering in people's ears. And it was also comic enough for me to be attracted to it. I'm, you know, Sri Lanka is a grim place, you know, most of the time, but it's not, it's not a sad, depressing place. It's not a dull place because we set, tend to appreciate the absurdity and the humour in it. So I think this was also a situation where the afterlife has a bureaucracy where God or the creator has gone off for lunch and hasn't turned turned back and people are just left in the queue, not sure what to do. It just seemed like a nice way to talk about and talk about Marley's journey as well.
2: And was that a way for you to also offset the horror of also what Marley is seeing and reporting, what he's taken photographs of, um, to have that injection of satire and humour?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I do naturally gravitate to that sort of tone. But yeah, it did allow me to go to the the darker places because there, there's a very practical, um, right in the first act, you see the very practical craft of body disposal and how challenging it is. And uh, and these two goons were trying to figure out ways to dispose of Mali's body. So it was done in a... In sort of absurd comic way, but it doesn't offset the fact that, yeah, there's a body being dismembered and, and the the spirit is discussing it. Yeah, I think I do try and manage these two things because otherwise, yeah, I think as Sri Lanka said, it's better to laugh than to cry. And if you don't laugh, that's what you end up doing. And, um, yeah, hopefully there are enough laughs in the book as well as enough darkness.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also we've, we find out about Mali Almeida's personal life and that's quite affecting as well. But I want to come back to this idea of him as a photographer, you know, bearing witness to these horrors. Is this something Sri Lankans are ready for? I mean, I know there have been various reconciliation tribunals, but they've been quite politicised in the past. How ready are people to um, address these horrors?
0: Well, that was the central idea of the book that I was interested in exploring. And it's still, it's with us that we've had so many horrors and tragedies in our past. And There is this notion, well, should we dig up our past or or should we bury it? And I think that's the conflict at the heart of the novel. And it's very easy for people who weren't affected to say, well, you know, those were all bygones. No, no point stirring that stuff up. Let's just move on. But there are people who cannot forget. And um, I don't think we've had truth and reconciliation. I don't think we've had memorials for, for atrocities like 1983 so we're not very good at addressing our past, and we have very, very short memories. So we will vote out the dictators and then vote them back in uh, because where the population needs a strong, a strong man back in power. Uh, and so I think that was what I was interested in exploring. And same with Mali, he's got these photographs that show and what he thinks will show the world everything bad about Sri Lanka and we will change. But it's it's a bit of a naive idea because I think you're right, Sri, Sri Lanka doesn't like to address its past. But of course there has been, when I wrote this, so I, mean, I wrote it before and during the pandemic, but since publication, there's been these last three months and that's sort of given us a bit of hope because it, this was the, these protests were run by the young. I mean, the young faced up to the bullets first up and, and then we all joined. And it seems there's, there is some sort of idealism, a sense of inclusivity. A sense, and and that's what was wonderful about the protests was, was that it transcended race, it transcended generations. And this is something we hadn't seen. We we are a deeply divided country in our history. So maybe there is, maybe maybe we are ready to to face the past and all that. I and mean, there was that sense of idealism which has sort of tapered off now with the practicality of getting back to living. And, and to be fair, the state has demonized the protest and a lot of their, their leaders have been arrested and taken in. So, But I think even though the book was written in a period where I didn't think Sri Lankans were ready to dig up their past, I think perhaps now now there
2: is a different mood in the air. And what reaction have you had in Sri Lanka to your book?
0: Well, we can't ship books in here because it's not an essential service. So the books, are yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's. So it's a bit strange. Okay, so we had all this drama, and then my book comes out. I'm used to books coming out in anonymity, you know, you wait for the slow burn for it to get readers, but suddenly it comes out with a book, a long list. So there's all this renewed interest, and I've been up all night answering emails. I've even had to tweet, you know, uh, which I do once a year. So, yeah, there's been all this attention. So we've been celebrating the cricket team had a few wins, the netball team had some wins and this long list. So people have been getting behind it. But yeah, and the books have just arrived. I don't know how they smuggled them in, but they've just arrived in stores as of the last couple of days. So so I don't know what the reaction to the book is. Um, but um, so far, yeah, the, the reaction to the shortlisting has been quite positive and encouraging.
2: This is the second year in a row that a Sri Lankan author has been shortlisted for the Booker. Is this an indication, in any way, of a thriving writing and publishing uh, industry in Sri Lanka?
0: I think writing and I think publishing is catching up. But yeah, like I mean, like I said, there's plenty of stories, and now there's more and more more writers tackling them. And we're just talking about uh, Sri Lankan writing in English. There's there's Sri Lankan writing in Sinhalese and and Tamil, uh, and and also, we forget that aside from publishing, there's a lot of online writing. I mean, I think the story of this recent Aragalia is, it's happening on Twitter, it's happening on Facebook, it's happening on blogs, and um, so there is a lot of there's there's a lot of writing. And I say with any writing, you know, there, there is quality writing, and there's just a lot of writing about the situation. But I think there'll be plenty of novels that'll come out of 2022 for sure. Um, Petrol queues in protests and I don't know. It'll take me another 20, 30 years to write them because I'm still stuck in 1989. But, uh, but certainly, I think there, there is a storytelling culture. And also, it's uh, there might have been a time where people were afraid to use their voice. But I think as as the protest has proven that now, more and, more, and I don't think they can be shut down either, either because of the Internet. And even when there's power cuts, Twitter was still active and alive. The publishing industry, it's still limited to those who are fortunate enough to find publication internationally, of which me and Anuka, are members of, of, a, of a growing group, but a small group. But yes, hopefully, I mean, hopefully with Seven Moons, there will be more renewed renewed interest in Sri Lanka and, and in the stories from here.
2: The question is, will Shehan be able to give up his day job as a copywriter now that he's won the Booker Prize? because after being shortlisted, he thought he'd stick with it.
0: Yeah, it also helps that my next book is is a satire about corporate Sri Lanka. So kind of the day job also provides a bit of research. And uh, yeah, there's enough as the country's bankrupt. So there's plenty to satirise as well. Let's see. Let's see.
1: Shahan Karanatakala speaking to the producer of the book show, Sarah Lestrange. Congratulations again to Shehan, the winner of this year's Booker Prize. This is the book show made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Wajuk Noongar people. And my name is Claire Nichols, back with a regular episode of the book show next time. Bye.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.